Hello, homemakers, and welcome to Season 9 of the Art of Home Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Weeks. I am a wife, a mom to four grown kids, grandmother to one baby boy due to arrive this fall, and I've been practicing the art of home for over 30 years. If you are new here, welcome. I'm so glad you found us, and I pray that you'll stick around to find some encouragement and some inspiration for your homemaking. This episode marks a brand new season of Homemaker Portraits and Deep Dive episodes. I'm very excited to introduce you to some amazing homemakers during this season. Today, we're starting with a homemaker portrait of my friend, Jean Cody, who has been keeping a home for 44 years. But before we get to Jean, I have a few things to share with you. First of all, I just want to thank everyone for listening, and thank you for sharing the show with your friends and your family, your mom, your sister, your aunt, your best friend. We're seeing steady growth in the downloads, and it's all because of you ladies spreading the word about the art of home. Now, while I love to see the upward trend of our download numbers chart, I really love to hear from individual listeners about how the show has impacted their practice of the art of home. And I want to read to you, I have permission, um, a note from a listener, Abigail, who has gone even farther and has sought out seasoned homemakers in her life to learn from. Here's what she says. I just wanted to share with you how much of a blessing your podcast has been to me. I have been so much more encouraged and motivated to be a more thoughtful, humble, selfless mother. I love hearing the perspectives of the older ladies, especially. I was so inspired that I asked a lady in our church who has an email newsletter where she sends out devotionals to other Christian ladies if I could do a series of interviews with some seasoned Christian ladies in our church to turn into articles for her newsletter. Interviewing these ladies has been such an incredible blessing to me. Their stories and advice and wisdom has had a profound influence on me that I will never forget. Without your podcast, I never would have had the courage to ask them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Y'all, this is why I do this podcast. You hear me say it all the time. I want you to listen to the podcast and I want you to be inspired and encouraged by these stories. And then I want you to take the next step. Go find women like this in your community and develop a relationship with a few of them. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just ask them over for coffee and you can visit while your baby is napping or maybe not, maybe while the baby's awake. There are so many older women who would love to come and sit with you and hold your baby while you visit together. Or maybe you might meet someone at the park so your kids, if they're a little bit older, can play while you visit with her. Just be creative. If you don't know where to find these women, I would recommend that you start with the women at your church. Start with prayer, first of all. Ask God to bring women into your life. Ask Him to give you courage. If you're shy or you're afraid to approach women, ask God to give you the courage to to speak up and ask for their friendship, to ask for a meeting, to just sit down and learn from them. Ask Him to bring those ladies into your life and then be faithful to follow through when He does, because He will. Maybe you're fortunate enough to have your mom or your grandma or aunt or older sisters nearby. I did have another listener who reached out to me and asked for a copy of the questions because she planned to sit down, have a girl's night, and sit down with some of these older relatives in her life, these women, 
and do like a little interview. She wanted to use the questions that I do use on the show. And um, I thought that was just really smart. You don't have to use these questions, but I'm happy to share them with you. Just reach out to me um, on the website. You can go to our contact page and send me a voicemail or an email, or you can DM me on Instagram and I'll be happy to send you a copy of the questions that I use. Or maybe you just pick out a few of your favorites from the homemaker portraits. What What's like maybe three or four questions that you always look forward to the answer when I ask those questions? I would start there. Whatever you do, however you do it, just get started. Just take that step of faith and reach out to women in your community who you can learn from and grow with. You won't regret it. On today's episode, I'm chatting with a seasoned homemaker, Jean Cody. We talk about marrying young, raising and homeschooling a house full of girls, her season of caring for her aging mother, and her testimony of how losing a child brought her to faith in Christ and changed the trajectory of her life forever. So whether you're on your morning walk or sitting in the school pickup line, I know you will enjoy Jean's story of home. All right, I'm here with my friend Jean Cody. We are going to talk about her homemaking journey, but before we do that, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about who you are today. Okay, well, I'm Jean, and I have been married for almost 44 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Seven children. One uh, one of those children is kind of our adopted daughter we took in and and cared for, and we love her too. Three grandchildren, one on the way. And right now, I'm kind of trying to figure life out. I've got done homeschooling, and so I'm caretaking for a baby and and my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Now, you homeschooled your kids all the way through, correct? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. That is a huge accomplishment. My hat is off to you. Well, thank you. Those were some fun years. Mm-hmm. Hard years, too, but fun. Yeah. And all of your children, did you just say this? It's all, you have all girls. All girls. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of estrogen. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff's the best girl dad ever. Oh. Yeah, he's good. That's so cool. Now the grands, are they girls, boys? There's one boy. Well, actually there'll be two boys. Okay. Because the one coming is a boy. Okay. And uh, two girls. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Very good. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. So would you say that you first became a homemaker 44 years ago when you married Jeff? Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was very young. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was a month away from being 19. Oh, me too. You too? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I was, I was young, and, and we got married, and... Three days later, left with our little U-Haul with our furniture, and we were off to Dallas. Oh, my. Which was, I was from a very small hometown, yeah. you know, and so to go to a big city like that at that young age was oh pretty pretty big. That's a huge, I mean, marriage is a huge, huge adjustment, adjustment, but then to move, that's huge. Yeah. So how did that go? <laughs> Uh, it went pretty well. We had friends there, but not mm-hmm. parents or, you know, not at the beginning anyway. And uh, it was intimidating. Yeah. You know, we didn't even have a traffic light in our little town. So <laughs> to go to a big city and, you know, but Jeff was so sweet. He, I'd have a job interview and he'd drive me there the, the night before and show mm-hmm. me where it was. And he was very patient. 
Um, but yeah, we grew a lot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have any skills going into homemaking as a new wife? Um, I would say some, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't spend a lot of time at home. I guess what, what I learned from my mom was just observing, like she didn't intentionally say, Hey, let's learn how to do this. Right. So, um, you know, I had to learn a lot on my own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cooking and cleaning and right. What know. was the hardest thing for you to learn? What was your steepest learning curve as a new wife, as a, as a new homemaker? I think just being thrown into all of it was like, you know, I just had to learn it all, you know, just time management, organizing, all Mm -hmm. of it really, Mm -hmm. just keeping a home um, in general was so, it was new. I was so young. Yeah. You know. When you guys moved to Dallas, did you move like into an apartment or? Yes. Okay. We actually had to live with his brother for a couple of months while we waited for our brand new apartment complex to be done. Oh, so and then we moved into an apartment. Okay, so you were newlyweds. We living. were. And we had a microwave oven. We were so excited. Ooh, that was high <laughs> that was tech. A, yeah, that was then. a big deal. Yeah. That's exciting. Okay, cool. So you said you were on your way to Dallas, or you said when you get to Dallas, Jeff was helping you with job interviews and stuff. So you did work outside the home initially? Yes, at that time, yes. Okay. I did. And what? how long did you do that? Well, I did, I mean, I worked outside the home until I had my first daughter, okay. Jessica, mm-hmm. and then I stayed home with her. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Okay. So was it challenging for you as a new bride to also be working and managing all of that or... I don't think so. Yeah. Not at that time. I think I just, I kind of, that kind of person, I think. I mm-hmm. just do what I have to do and, mm-hmm. you know, and went to work and, yeah. So what about getting it all done once the kids started arriving? And you're keeping a home, you're raising girls, you are doing all the things, homeschooling eventually, all of that. What were some of the ways that you kept your priorities in order and set your priorities over the years? Lists. I did lists, but also just keep, I just kept moving, you know, and my my mind was always going. I was mm-hmm. always, what's the next thing? And, yeah. you know, um, just keeping a, you know, a, um, a schedule, right? you know, time-wise. And, you know, as I thought about that, I thought, Sometimes being so wrapped up in that, I didn't stop and play. Mm. So that for me was something I looked back on, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. no. what do you mean by that? Like, what what would that constitute for you? Play, just literally sitting with the girls mm-hmm. and just playing mm-hmm. because it was so much to do, and as more kids came, right you know, to keep them, you know, keep order and keep them homeschooled. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're everything. Yeah. You know, you're the teacher, you're the, you know, you're everything, Mm -hmm. which I did enjoy, but it was challenging at times, of course, you know. Um, But I think I sometimes was just so busy trying to keep that order. Right. Um, You know, that I did, maybe I didn't relax enough sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe my girls would have a different view of that. I don't know, but mm. 
Maybe I should get all all of them together and interview them all. (laughs) That would be fun. That would be interesting. (laughs) Well, how about expectations? So as you came into this role um, as a wife and then a mom and a homemaker, were there some expectations, something that maybe surprised you about that role or things that just didn't quite match up to reality? Yeah, I mean, that's... I think I had high expectations probably in every area. Uh And, you know, the reality was you fall short because you can't do everything. You know, um, something uh, as the older girls got older, which, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a doer, so I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the two oldest were getting older, Jeff literally said, you can't do this all yourself. You need to start, you know, getting these girls you need. He helped me do that too. But, you know, get them doing things. Right. Because he said, you can't maintain this yeah. and do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that was like a big thing for me because my mom did everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't have to do much around the house. Um, and so that's what I was trying to do. Mm. And so that was a big deal then to begin to train them to help more mm-hmm. around the house. Mm-hmm. So... That was a gift that Jeff gave you yes. to give you that that advice, I think. What were some of the ways that you were able to sort of train your girls um, to help? Did you make it part of their schooling or was that is like a separate thing? I would say it was a separate thing more. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I gave them responsibilities of, you know, cleaning and usually, you know, everyone was in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. If they were, whether they were cutting vegetables up or, you know, yeah. wh- whatever. And then the cleanup, I always was, I would be in the kitchen when it was time to cook and organize all of that. Right. But then I sat down while they cleaned up. Okay. That was something that we set in motion early on, mm-hmm. that they had to do all the cleaning and putting the leftovers away, all that stuff. So did they cooperate? With one another in that task, most of the time. But you know, there <laughs> were that was a there were those <laughs> in my house. It was like, oh my gosh, this is. It was more work for me to referee the fighting yeah. that was going on in the kitchen. Yeah, and then sometimes I was like, just forget it. Like I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't always you know perfect. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But they did pretty well, I think, in my memory, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was just expected of them daily. So there wasn't even a question. I had a list, you know, that rotated their names. Whose turn was it to, you know, clear the table? Whose turn was it to, and they rotated this list. I can remember them looking at the list on the side of the refrigerator Uh going, oh, you know, yeah, because one would say, "Oh, it's your turn." No, it's not my turn. Oh, Look yeah, that, you no, know? no, you have to write it down. <laughs> it has to be. There has to be a record. <laughs> so, yeah, and that was a that was a big deal. Yeah, when that you know, and they were home all the time. That's the thing about homeschooling. Yes, you're always in your space. Yes, three meals a day plus snacks. Mm-hmm. They seem to go through more clothing when they're all at home. I don't know. My kids did oh, anyway. There's more everything. There's, there's more just, wear and tear on yeah. your home. There's more. Yeah, there's more everything. Dishes, everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I loved having them home. Mm-hmm. It was really something I cherish. Yeah, that's good. Mm. 
Did you do a lot of um, co-op type situations to you help know, with some of that? I didn't until I did more of it when we moved here. Okay. But by the time we moved here, Jen was 18 and Christine was almost done high school. And mm-hmm. so I had the younger ones. And so I did find things here. But where we were and at the time, I mean, when I first started homeschooling Jen, people would be like, oh, you can do that? <laughs> you <laughs> right. know, it was like, it yeah. really wasn't a, a thing as much. Yes. And um, so there wasn't that much to offer there. Mm-hmm. In that way, mm-hmm. so I wish there had been, mm-hmm. but there wasn't. So, in the midst of all of that, how did you keep your spiritual growth a priority? I, in the mornings, I wouldn't leave my bedroom until my door was shut, mm-hmm. and I would not come out until my at the you know my shower was done, and I sat with the Lord and read my Bible, and the girls knew that. Yeah. They wouldn't. They would get their own breakfast because by then, you know, they were old enough to do that kind of thing or help the younger ones, right? Um, you know, and there were dry times when maybe that didn't happen, but you know, uh, for the most part, that's what I tried to maintain. Mm-hmm. Well, so <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about special challenges because some people might hear that last answer and think, "Well, what did you do in the early years, like when you had your first couple of babies?" And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about Jessica, your oldest, mm-hmm. um, and why don't you just tell us your story about Jessica? Well, she was born in Dallas when we were there, and uh, when she was a little over two, we Jeff got a job in Connecticut, so we moved to Connecticut where we knew no one. Mm. Um, family was, it was New England. We wanted to go back to New England, so it was three hours from what was home. Right. So, which we know God did that for sure. He isolated us for a reason. We needed to get away from where we were. And anyway, so we moved to Connecticut, and two months into that, um, she had a seizure, a grand mal seizure, and um, she lived for five days, Mm. and then she, she passed away. In that five days' time... I wasn't a believer then. Oh, okay. Jeff was raised in a Christian home. Uh-huh. He was far from God for many years. And I was not a Christian. Uh-huh. I had head knowledge because when I met him, when I was 16, his mom said, if you're going to have a girlfriend, you need to bring her to church. Mm. <laughs> well, I wanted to be with him, so I would go anywhere. <laughs> so I started to attend a Baptist church. And uh, that's when I first heard the gospel. And so I had head knowledge, and it was always someday, someday I'll go to church. Someday, well, when we have kids, some, you know, it was always putting off what I thought was being a Christian. Well, then you go to church and you, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, um, two months into being, you know, moving to Connecticut, she had this grandma seizure and passed away. But us being, that five days by ourselves was a time that we were really able to um, talk a lot about how we were living and what we were doing because they, she just needed to wake up. That's what they kept telling us. She just needs to wake up. And there were, there were children in there that had a brain tumor and had surgery and left the ICU. There was another child with a heart condition that had surgery and left ICU. And these specialists would come in and they'd say, she just needs to wake up. She's had this grand mal seizure and that's why she's sleeping so long. 
But that made us, when we would communicate with family that were three hours away, we would say, don't come. She's okay. She just needs to wake up. But that's what left us, just the two of us. And I feel if my family not being believers, if they had come, we would have leaned on them. Yes. And we would not have, I feel we would not have had the conversations we had. Mm. So the Lord definitely was in all of it. And um, so anyway, she she lived for the five days and died. And of course, that was very difficult and devastating. We didn't have an answer, but yet we felt like we had an answer. We really felt that that was God's way of just, He turned our lives around. Mm. And, and almost, you know, I mean, not an instant, but <laughs> just through that experience, and um, so, uh, so then we, you know, we were just trying to. At that point, I'm just trying to survive. Yeah, it was very difficult. Um, hard thing, very hard. So, after she passed away, how long before you became a believer, or that you know turned your life over to the Lord, or? Whatever. You know, um, for for Je- for Jeff, it was almost we we rushed her to the emergency room when she was having the seizure, and when mm-hmm. Jeff he had her in his his arms, and when he sorry when he gave her to the nurse at the ER, he looked at me and he said, "You know what this is, don't you?" Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm just in this state of what is happening. I'm yeah. just, you know, frantic. And he said, this is God dealing with one of his own. Mm-hmm. So for Jeff, I feel he his came sooner than mine. Right. But I would say within probably two weeks, because we went back to the, the same crowd yeah. that we hung with, you know, after her death, because home was three hours away and we didn't want to be there on weekends. It was just too hard. Right. So we found ourselves hanging around with the old friends and doing the same old things. And, and, you know, I found myself one night sitting, you know, in a bar talking to a friend and trying to share my testimony, what I thought God had done Mm -hmm. or what he did do. But I mean, you know, and it just felt so wrong. It felt so almost dirty. It felt, it just didn't, it was terrible. Yeah. And that's honestly when I went home, Jeff would pray me to sleep mm-hmm. like every night because it was so hard to go to sleep at night. But, and I just got on my knees that night and I said, I am so done. I'm done with this life. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And, you know, I like to say, you know, it's like I woke up the next morning and the sky looked different it looked so blue and it just i mean just transformation total transformation Mm. he took away those you know habits that i had that were not good and um yeah it was just i was a different person it's like scripture says Mm. i was a new creation and he you know he did that that's awesome so and that of course changed the course of everything Everything. Yeah. So I love that he, that Jeff prayed you to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I just want to allow some space to talk about grief and loss in the home. We've had a couple of guests on the show before who have experienced loss of a child. One of them, the child was, she was a teenager. And then we've had a guest who lost a husband and, um, a lot of people experience loss mm-hmm. and, you know, I know that there's not always, it can feel like there's not space to, to bring that into the story of talking about home and family and losing a child at such a young age. And how, what are some of the ways that you and Jeff ministered to one another t- and saw God working like over the course of maybe the next year to get through that? Loss? You know, at that time, I remember reading an article that said um, 75% marriages end in divorce after the loss of a child. Really? And, but for us, I feel like because we, at that point, both had a relationship with the Lord and He was center mm-hmm. of our lives, then He became the center of our marriage. Rather than it pulling us apart, it brought us closer together. Yeah. And, you know, there was never any... Because there could, we've talked about this. There could have been, well, you know, we rushed her there ourselves. You know, one of us could say, well, why didn't you call an ambulance? Or, you know, there could have been those kinds of conversations, and there just never was. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was a, and, you know, it almost seemed like when one was feeling very low, mm-hmm. the other one lifted, mm-hmm. you know, the other one up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were some very low, low times. Uh, I went back to work. Okay. You know, which was very hard. Yeah. You know, because I had been a mom for two and a half years raising this little girl, and all of a sudden, it's, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, it was very devastating. Um, but just God carried us through it all, mm-hmm. you know, and I look back and think, you know, talking about it, sometimes I think, wow, you know, was that our life? I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, but God has used it for sure because mm-hmm. also I feel like he, I feel like he snatched me out of a family of unbelievers and saved me. Mm. And it just started a whole new, uh, it set set the the course for a whole another generation yeah. of people to know him and serve him. Yeah. And the the road that we were traveling, we weren't telling her about Jesus. I mean, we didn't deny him necessarily. I mean, we didn't say there's no God, but I mean, we also didn't take her to church or talk mm-hmm. to her about the Lord or, you know. So it changed lots of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, I think Jeff and I, it drew us together, mm-hmm. fortunately. Yeah. So how long after um, losing Jessica did you work, then when did you get pregnant again? Nine months. Okay. Yeah. And then you came back home when Jen was born? When Jen was born, mm-hmm. I came back home. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... And you learn a lot about grief. You learn a lot about, you know, it, te- it, it taught me also, you know, like anything, like any experience you have, right? I mean, you learn what not to say. 
because <laughs> people say things that you know uh, yeah. they they mean well probably and want to be helpful and caring but yeah. you know so i mean so can, let's let's go there for just a second what as a mom who's experienced grief and loss like this what do you, what would you say to those moms or those those women who are listening who have a friend or an acquaintance that's walking through that what do you say or what do you do? I think for me, some of the most meaningful things were someone just coming alongside me and just saying, I love you and I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes too many words, you end up not saying the right thing or the best thing. Yeah. You know, um, and just doing like, don't, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, what can I do for you? And you don't even know what anyone can do for you because you don't know what to do for you. Right. <laughs> you know, so just sure. to some degree, just go into action and just say, hey, I'm going to bring you a meal or I'm going to take your other kids, mm-hmm. which I didn't have that experience. But, you know, for yeah. someone that would, um, just loving them. Yeah. Loving them like Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I appreciate you sharing your story about Jessica and, and that experience. Um I know that you also had another big challenge later on in your homemaking with caring for an aging parent. Yes. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Okay. We had my mom with us. I mean, for probably for around four years, we lived in the same house, but she lived in the apartment upstairs. We lived in the apartment downstairs. So there was that situation. And my dad lived there too for a while, but then he passed away. And then that's when I realized... My mother was afraid to be alone and, you know, but she was still fine because we lived in the same house. But, you know, then we ended up moving away and, um, and she more and more, we moved 45 minutes away from Mm -hmm. where we were. And so more and more she ended up, you know, a weekend turned into a long weekend and then a long weekend turned into, (laughs) 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 and, uh, so anyway, then what happened was we moved back to our hometown. We bought a house with her in mind, made a in-law apartment, like, in mm-hmm. the house. And she lived with us there for, like, seven years. Okay. And then we were moving to San Antonio. And by this time, her dementia had really set in. And um, basically, the roles were reversed. It's like yeah, I was the mom and she was the... And I mean, I hardly got out of my mouth that we're moving to San Antonio, and she, was, I want to go with you. You know, I mean, because we had she, we had become her everything, the yeah. girls, everybody. Yeah. So anyway, we brought her here too, and she lived with us here until she died in 2011. So yeah, I mean, I don't regret doing it, and I would do it again, mm-hmm. but it wasn't always easy. What were some of the benefits of having her with you guys? Because you're raising the girls during this time. Mm -hmm. They're all still home Mm -hmm. and you're homeschooling and she's there. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about what were some of the the pros and the cons of that situation. I mean, some of the pros were just having her in the home and the girls getting to be around her. Um, And I think, too, for them to see the example of what it means to really care for someone that needs you, a, you know, a mom or a family member. Right. I think it was, was it always done perfectly? No. 
<laughs> with a good attitude sometimes? No. <laughs> I try. And boy, that would just eat at me at times, though, because oh, yeah. I would just feel like, oh, that was, you know, that situation was really hard and I didn't handle it very well. And, you know, but um, yeah, because it wasn't always easy. You know, it's your mom, but you live different. You know, I'm, you know, you, you do different things than your mom did. You, cause you have a husband. She didn't have, I mean, just the right. whole thing is just so it's all. Everybody's, everyone is different. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes that was hard. Mm-hmm. And especially with her dementia, sometimes, you know, she didn't. She like didn't have a filter or. Yeah. 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 That's, I'm sure that's really challenging. And I had to do things like take her keys away because mm. she took a, lo- a long ride and got in a car accident. And oh she was fine. She was okay. But, you know. It could have ended It could have been. Badly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. And that was hard for her, which, you know, so all of those things that you have to face, plus take care of your your own kids and, yeah. and whatever comes up there, which is always something. Right. You know, that's how ra- what raising kids <laughs> is about, you know. You know, and some of it, too, was, I mean, I'd, I'm not sure she ever really submitted her life to Christ. Mm-hmm. But that was important, too. I wanted her to see, you know, see him. Yeah. You know, and us and in the kids. and but It's interesting how we have opportunities to show hospitality to all kinds of people. You mm-hmm. know, not just our immediate family and our neighbors, but extended family members and things like that. Mm -hmm. So let's move into that topic and let's talk a little bit about some of the practical ways that you showed hospitality, um, sort of the everyday ways, and then maybe some of the more extreme ways (laughs) (laughs) that your family showed hospitality. Well, I think there we had a good example in Jeff's parents. I mean, and I think that that's, there was just an open door. Yeah. You know, we did, we did things uh, we were very spontaneous. You mm-hmm. know, I was never the kind of person that, you know, it's got to be on the calendar and, right. you know, or I won't do it. Or, you know, it's, it's, we were just always very, hey, we're having a cookout. Why don't you come over? You know, it's just the kind of people we are. Um, so, you know, I think that played a lot into, into it, right. you know, being available. Mm-hmm. I feel like our home is welcoming. I hope so. Yeah. You know, uh, and also the kids, you know, this was a place for the, for them to bring friends. Mm-hmm. I think their friends felt comfortable. We were, we were kind of that house, you know, where everybody mm-hmm. congregated. And so. Always had food on hand. Always had food. A lot of their friends, I mean, I want to take that they felt at home because you know, they'd go in the spare refrigerator and go get themselves something to drink. Or Yeah, exactly. And, and we liked that. Yeah. We will get back to Jean's story in just a few minutes. Right now, it's time for Historical Homemaker Hints. This is the part of the podcast where we highlight some of the helpful and not-so-helpful hints doled out to homemakers throughout history. Today's hints come from a delightful little booklet that was gifted to me by my dear friend Alma Wakefield who was a guest on the show back in season two. Alma brought me several vintage booklets that had belonged to her mother-in-law, and one of them is our source for today's hints. It's called 1003, 
that's a random number, Household Hints and Work Savers. The subtitle is A Treasury of Clever, Practical Ways to Save Money, Time, and Work in Every Department of Daily Living. The booklet, which was published in 1948, was compiled for banks, yes, banks, to use as perhaps a marketing tool or maybe a gift to customers or maybe even employees. I tried to find some more information on this booklet. Um, There wasn't a whole lot. However, when I searched the title online, several images came up of the same booklet, but they had a different bank listed on the front. So likely it was produced nationally, maybe by a marketing company, and then the banks would purchase a bunch of them, I suppose, and then they would be able to put their own bank label on the front with their local bank information, and then they used local advertisers on the back pages and on the inside flaps. Probably that was part of the funding of the project. And then they would give those out, I'm assuming, to customers, um, to maybe people who were new in town or to their loyal bank uh, patrons. I really don't know, but that's my best guess. And it really is a very helpful little booklet. So I thought we would spend some time in this season exploring this booklet. And today I'm sharing tips with you from a chapter called Trade Secrets of a Well-Run Kitchen. Now, most of these tips are really about cost savings in the kitchen and how to make the most of what you have. And in today's economy, I thought you would probably find some real value in these suggestions. So here we go. When you need to stretch a small cut of meat to feed more people, try this trick. Cut pockets in your meat and put money in your own. Filling good meat with stuffing is one of the most attractive, delicious, and simple ways to do a bit of stretching. Chops, breast, shoulder, almost any cut can be slit and stuffed. This is a great suggestion. It was really popular like in the 70s and 80s, but then kind of fell out of fashion to stuff your meats. Um, But I think it's a practice that we could all go back to because who doesn't love meat stuffed with bread or rice or something like that? You can stuff meats with all kinds of things. Bread stuffing, rice, veggies, lentils, Really, the possibilities are endless, and it will go a long way towards stretching a smaller cut of meat for a bigger family. Do you trim your meats before cooking? Well, do not throw away the fat. Render it. Chop in small pieces, put it in a frying pan with a few tablespoons of water, and let it cook slowly. The water will evaporate, and when the fat stops sizzling, it is melted. To save on cooking fuel, Do your rendering in the oven while baking something else. Now, I've always saved my rendered bacon fat, and I use that for cooking, sauteing vegetables, and that sort of thing, but I've never rendered fat for meat trimmings, so I think I'm going to have to give this a try, and I especially love the tip about putting it in the oven and letting it slowly render while you're already using the oven for something else. So smart. Now, whether you use good old Crisco shortening palm shortening, or lard, these next two suggestions are brilliant for avoiding waste. To avoid waste in measuring shortening, use the water level method. For example, if you need one half cup of shortening, fill a liquid measuring cup to the one half mark with water. Drop in shortening, push it under the water. Continue until the water reaches the one cup mark. Drain off the water. For three quarters of a cup of shortening, start with a quarter cup of water. 
For one-third of a cup, start with two-thirds of a cup water and so on. Finally, get your shortening money's worth by using every bit in the container. When you've come to the hard-to-get-at-last-of-it, pour boiling water into the can and the shortening will rise to the top. When chilled, you can skim off the solid fat, wrap in waxed paper, and keep till wanted. That's probably my favorite tip of the day. So, so smart. Well, that's all for today's historical homemaker hints. As always, please remember these hints are for entertainment purposes only, and we leave it up to you, the listener, to determine the safety and soundness of this advice. And now, back to Jean's story. So, let's talk about your, uh, not official, but unofficial adopted daughter, and how she came to you guys. Well, actually, uh, can I say her name? Abby? Yeah, you can say, you can say her name. I'm, I'm giving you permission because she's one of my friends. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was actually a witness to Were this. you? I was sitting in front of them at church when that happened. Really? Yes, but you tell the so story. So you may know better how it... Not really, but I mean, I just, but you tell the story. Well, the way I remember the story <laughs> is that Abby was sitting near her somewhere mm-hmm. at church and it was one of those Sundays, I think Clay was preaching yeah, and had- he encouraged people to pray in groups. Which was weird because true? we don't usually do that no. at our church. Uh-uh. And so everybody was a little bit uncomfortable with yeah, that request. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I think so too. Well, she ended up praying with Christina uh-huh. and uh, got a little bit of her story. Right. And then she, Abby knew that Jen had moved out of the master bedroom that we had mm-hmm. and approached me and asked me, you know, told me about her story and asked if we would be interested in possibly helping her out. And um, to me, right away, it was just like, well, yeah. Which is, when you think back on it, we've talked about this. Um, I didn't know her at all. No. She didn't know us at all. Right. So really, but to me, what came out was that, okay, this is someone in need. And yeah. what she's doing is honorable. What she's, you know, and so why wouldn't we help her? Mm-hmm. And the Lord has brought her to us. So, and so when I talked to Jeff too, he was right about it. Well, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, she was a single mom, needed a place to stay. She was wanting to honor the Lord with her life because uh, she had been living with, you know, her now husband. Um, and so she just knew that mm-hmm. that it was time to do that. Yeah. And so that I think that played a lot into it too for us. Here's this girl, she's a believer and she's really wanting to do the right thing and and she had Kimberly at time at the time Kimberly was I think she just turned 9 mm-hmm. at that time. So we had her and and Christina and we just we joke cuz we feel like sometimes she does things or says things that's like are you sure you weren't born into this family? <laughs> <laughs> because things that she'll say or do or, you know, or just... She became a Cody. She's just... We just love her so much. Yeah. And um, the girls love her so much, too. They, I mean, they call, they say, my sister, you know, mm-hmm. which has been kind of funny at church sometimes because I was in a Bible study once and I someone introduced Christina as my daughter. And a lady that was sitting there kind of took a double take like, wait, what? I didn't know you had... Well, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and of course, Jen and her are the same age; they're just a couple of months apart. So, but anyway, um, that that experience was just 
one of the highlights of our life, mm-hmm. I feel like. You know, um, getting to know her and she's just, we just love her so much. Yeah. She's just part of our family. That's awesome. Yeah. It's but amazing. that's a big risk to a lot of people to, like you said, you didn't know her. She didn't know you guys to just step out in faith like that and invite someone to literally move in with you. Yeah. Um, were there any particular challenges that you guys had to face? And maybe how did you work through them? <laughs> Some One thing comes to mind that's it's kind of a... I think Christina and I tiptoed around each other for because she didn't want to inconvenience us and she didn't mm-hmm. want to you know, do something she shouldn't. And, and I would feel the same way. I just wanted so much for her to be comfortable and be relaxed. And, and so I would kind of go overboard and, you know, <laughs> are you okay? You know, you can do, you know, or, you know, and we, we laugh about it now because yeah. we don't tiptoe around each other anymore. But so that, that, that's a funny challenge, I guess, you know, it wasn't really a, yeah, no, you know, a negative thing, but right. Right. No, we just embraced them. Yeah. Kimberly loved being around the girls and, mm-hmm. you know, so that's awesome. It was fun. That's really a cool story um, about hospitality. It's all the gospel, really. Being obedient, Mm -hmm. right, to what the Lord asks us to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, you know, it's not, that's what it's about. Well, let's talk a little bit about the seasons of homemaking. What was the most difficult transition for you? Boy, you know, mentioning the first baby... That was really hard because there were no parents. Yeah, you were around. far away. We right? were far away, right. and I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I remember being in the hospital, thinking, "Oh, I have to go home now." Like, like you're going to the send nurses me home? can't come with me. You're going to send me home with this tiny human, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know that's terrifying. It was really was, but I think the Lord has made me a a caretaker, and a I think that's one of my gifts for sure. Mm-hmm. So I think I just sort of naturally... Just figured it out. Figured it out. I had to, which is good in some ways, you know, when you, you're forced to figure it out and you can't, you don't really have anyone to depend on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. yeah, and we didn't have the internet back then too. No. So you, you really, you either like... I couldn't to, Google things. No, <laughs> like I had to go to the library and check yeah. out books. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Uh, That's how I did it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, what about right now? What does homemaking look for you in the season that you're in now? You know, I feel like right now I'm still trying to figure that out. I, you know, last year was my last year of homeschooling. So that's over. Yeah. But how does that feel? But weird. Weird. (laughs) After how many years? Almost 30. Gosh. Yeah. You deserve a medal or something. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, right now, I guess I'm, you know, I'm watch caring for a baby three days a week. I'm very busy because I do that three days a week. And then on Thursdays, I go get my granddaughter and she spends the night. And so, you know, I'm, I stay pretty busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. It was intimidating to think about going out in the workforce. After all these years, I mean, I would have to be, I have to have somebody very patient with me to train me <laughs> if I were to do that. <laughs> and I, I really do love, I like what I'm doing. Yeah. 
Good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the tasks of homemaking with some rapid fire questions. Oh boy. All right. What is a task that you love? So task as in? Laundry. Okay. That's what you mean. Cleaning toilets. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody's ever said they love cleaning toilets, but I don't Uh, know. You know, I don't, I, I love the result of things being Mm -hmm. organized and, I mean, that just makes me feel great. I love to have things clean and organized. You like the result? I love Does the result. That mean you don't love the process? You know, I don't mind the process that much, really. I really don't. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I would categorize it like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what about one that you really don't love, that you just don't like at all, that you hate maybe even? That's a strong word. The refrigerator. I hate the refrigerator. (laughs) What about the refrigerator? (laughs) That's one of the things that I don't keep up with very well. Like cleaning it out. Yeah, just, you know what it is. Some of it is. I have, I have all these years I've had to cook for so many people, right? (laughs) I mean, there were eight of us at one time and I'm having trouble getting used to cooking less. Oh yeah. I'm getting better. Well, then I have too many leftovers. Mm-hmm. So then the leftovers go in the refrigerator, and then no one wants to eat them. <laughs> so my refrigerator gets out of hand all the time, <laughs> and it bugs me. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a common issue, actually, with empty nesters is how, is do, I, really? how yeah. do I learn to cook for less people? Yeah. I started, I'm, bad, I'm doing better, really. I am. But when I... And my husband doesn't love leftovers. He'll no, eat them. He'll mine, eat them for like one lunch afterwards. That's Jeff. Or one dinner afterwards, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. But he also travels, so I just started portioning my leftovers out. If I did cook too much and we're like we're not having this again, I'll portion them into like a single portion for something I would like, mm-hmm. and I just go ahead and put it in the freezer. And the next time he goes out of town, you have. Oh, that's. A good I don't idea. have to cook. And I don't have to like eat out because I don't really want to do that by myself. And mm-hmm. and I just pull something out of my little stash in the freezer. So That's maybe, a good idea. Maybe you could try that. Maybe. <laughs> I still have two kids at home, which Serena's not home very much anymore. She's on the go and doing mm-hmm. her thing. But yeah. Okay. That's a good idea. I mean, it's a it's a skill. It's we're, we're learning. We're working on it. Always learning. Always learning. Always learning. Yeah. And... You know, different seasons bring different things. Mm-hmm. It never ends. <laughs> so can you tell me about your worst homemaking fail? Oh, Do you have a good story for us? You never burned the turkey or accidentally put the ice cream in the pantry. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something I might do, but I don't think I ever have. You get to turn the oven on and you at church and you think you're... You know, you think your casserole is cooking and you get home and oh, it's not. That's terrible. <laughs> so disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> Come home hungry, ready to eat. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. That happened one Thanksgiving. Not that, not, not exactly like that, but my oven wasn't working right. And I had a house full of people, mm. you know, because when we have Thanksgiving, there's a lot of people. And my turkey wouldn't cook. Oh, no. Because my oven was not working right. So just no turkey that year? Or I just think we waited. Took, I, took a I lot believe, longer. yeah, we just ate, <laughs> you know, we grazed on appetizers and waited for it to be done. To be done. 
Oh, man. So when I moved here, I was happy to have a new oven. That is good. A double oven, too. Oh, I'm really jealous because I, I had a double oven for many years when we lived in Houston, and that was the last time. I always so, wanted one when the family was It grown. would have been great. Yeah, it would have been, and I never girls. had one then. Well, now but you... But now I have one. Now, and, now you can be the grandma hostess and... I am know. that a lot, which is great. That's good. Yeah. I have found, though, that I have a really good toaster oven. It's like a toaster oven deluxe. Like, it's not just a dinky little yeah. college dorm toaster oven. Yeah. And I can put... I can't put a chicken in there. Well, if I, like, flattened it... <laughs> you know, what do they call that? Spatch... Oh. Spat... Uh, there's a word for that. Where you, like, cut it down the middle, yeah. and then you flatten the whole thing out. But right. it's still a whole bird. I could cook one like that in oh, there. Well... It's a good little... It's by Breville. It's a good little toaster oven. So if you don't have a double oven... Maybe consider, especially if you have a big family, consider investing in a good toaster oven. Yeah. And now the newest version of the one that I have has an air fry function, which I love my air fryer, but it'd be great if I could like do away with that extra appliance appliance, and just have the one. I'm all about that. Okay. So how about a memorable achievement in homemaking? Besides successfully homeschooling for 30 years and graduating... (laughs) All those children. <laughs> um, you know, I think because of what we experienced, you know, losing a child, that had a big impact on me in raising the girls. And one of the big things, you know, was relationship with them. Yeah. You know, I had experience of people close to me that I didn't have good relationships with or, you know, just not like I wanted to have. And I knew I wanted something different with the girls. I knew. And so between that and so between those relationships yeah, and then also losing her, losing her was like, for me was I had her for two and a half years and she was gone. Mm. And you only have so much time, even if your children live their lives out, you only have this chunk of time to be with them, to train them, to come alongside them, to show them Jesus. And I knew I wanted to do that to the best of my ability. Obviously, no, we're not perfect people, so no one can do it perfectly, but I wanted to be intentional with that. That's what that did for me, is to be to have relationship with them. It's really important to me. That And that was very important to me and that they had relationship with one another because my siblings, we all get along just fine and there's no problems, but we're not close. I wouldn't say we're close. Mm -hmm. Like we don't stay in touch very well. Yeah. And so I wanted to cultivate that also in my kids. Uh, That was important to me. And I feel like the Lord has blessed that desire Mm -hmm. in my heart. I remember... You know, at least the the first couple of babies, just nursing and praying over them and saying, Lord, asking God, just teach me, Lord. Teach me how to do this. I want, this is what I desire, Lord. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he answered those prayers. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a big thing for me at the end of this chapter. Yeah. Long chapter. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very good achievement. Very good. Cool. I'm thankful, grateful to the Lord for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. And for him to show me that, you know. Yeah, that you get to see 
some results. Yeah. Because uh, we don't always get to see it. No. So that's really good. Yeah. The name of the show is The Art of Home, and we often talk about how homemaking, you know, I end the show with an encouragement for for listeners to practice their art, right? Uh, keep practicing, because it's like an art form. We have to keep practicing. And how, how, how are some of the ways that you were able to find beauty as you practiced the art of home, as you practice homemaking? Because it's mundane. You know, you're doing the same things over and over again. And mm. what are some of the ways that you can see beauty in the tasks of keeping a home and raising a family? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is seeing those results mm-hmm. of that hard work. Because of sometimes, like you're saying, how many times have I said, <laughs> and do I have to say again and again right. and again and again? You know? Yeah. But eventually, you do see the fruit. I yeah. think seeing the fruit of it is just amazing, of that hard work. And so, you know, keep working because, mm-hmm. you know, don't give up. Do not grow weary in doing good mm-hmm. for at the proper time. You will reap a harvest mm-hmm. if you don't give up. Yeah. And sometimes you feel like giving up. Oh, yeah. It's hard work. Yeah. It's very hard work. Right. But it's worth it. I agree. Because in the end, I always said with homeschooling, you know, if I miss the mark somewhere academically, but I hit it spiritually, of course, with the Lord, you know, I can't take credit. But if I if if we hit that, then mm. they can they can always learn. They can always learn something. They can always learn I, algebra. Right. <laughs> Which I did teach algebra, I, right. would, I will say. But, you know, yeah. But spiritually, again, you have this time. This window. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Why do you think that gratitude is important for the homemaker? And how have you seen having a grateful heart and attitude impact your homemaking, your motherhood, all those things? I wasn't always grateful. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it just gives a whole, you know, it gives an atmosphere to your home that's important yeah. to be grateful and show your kids, even though for the littlest things, um, because we can always, one of my girls shared something with me recently. She was had, having a bad day and, and, you know, someone came by and encouraged her. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, like, so I thought, but look, look what God brought you. He brought you someone to encourage you, to love you well. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I think showing, I think showing them because I don't always see it in my life either. Right. You know, I think it's healthy for your home to have that. Yeah. We need one another. We need one another in the body of Christ. We need one another in families. And But women in particular, I think there's a, there's a special community amongst women. And how do you, um, how did you find or foster community with other women as during all this time, you know, as you're raising your family and. I would say maybe that was something I didn't do as well as 
So I could have, I mean, we had one family, because again, it was a very small town, very small church, mm-hmm. and we had one family that they homeschooled also, and we were just, we became family, like, sure, we were just always together. Right. But outside of that, I really didn't have that much community. Do you regret that? Um, you know, there were times when I would feel, because just what had to go on in the home was so much. Yeah. You know, the homes, and I would go through these times when I'd think, oh, I don't serve anywhere. I'm not, you know, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. Mm -hmm. In fact, this friend of mine, who I love so much, and she never, ever made me feel, this is what I put on myself. She was one of those moms that she was always mentoring someone. Her kids were in all the sports. Her kids, you know, uh, played instruments and you know, I remember one of her boys, you know, he was up at 7.30 in the morning and he got his homeschooling done and he had the rest of the day to play. And I'm thinking, I'm having trouble getting the girls to the table by 8.30, <laughs> you know. But I would, that, I would put that on myself and yeah. think, why can't my family look like that? Uh, why can't yeah. I do all those things? And I can clearly remember a time where the Lord showed me, but you're not that family. This is your family. Mm-hmm. These are your children that I have given you. That's your husband, your, t- your uh, marriage, and your, not that I, it wasn't the marriage I looked at, but just right. the family as a whole. The dynamic the is dynamic, Right. And, and, and it was like, I came to this place where it was like, but I'm not supposed to look like that. Mm-hmm. So concentrate on what's right here, what you're doing, and do it well for the Lord mm-hmm. and not worry. And again, she would never, ever intentionally put anything on me. It was all myself. It's that comparison thing oh, that we yeah. do. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm still guilty of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's just not healthy because mm-hmm. we look out the window and we think we should look a certain way or we should yeah. be conducting our family that way. or Right. I think seeking out community um, is healthy for for all of us because homemaking can be very lonely mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if that's primarily what you're doing with your time. And it's nice to have that community to come alongside and, and help. And that's kind of what we're all about here is encouraging women to seek out those relationships. Mm-hmm. But you have to be on guard against comparison. Right. Because that's a, that will inevitably come up. When you invite people into community and do community with other people, you're going to compare. And we just Mm -hmm. have to guard against that because, like you said, everybody's family dynamic is different. God has uniquely gifted you for the Mm -hmm. people he put in your family and in your situation. What is some advice that you would give to a younger homemaker coming behind you? We have one chance with our kids. I Mm -hmm. don't know. Yeah. You know, so to get too wrapped up and we didn't do a lot like we didn't do a lot outside the home because I that I felt like they were my focus you know and we sat around the table every night and had dinner around the table and we would Mm -hmm. sit at the table for an hour after where everyone's done eating just Mm -hmm. to talk and laugh and those are the things that you can't get back again yeah so take that time and don't 
you know, hear them out, listen to them, listen to what they love and don't love. (laughs) (laughs) What I just talked about too with just, you know, don't look out, don't look out, don't do that comparison thing. Mm -hmm. And be, you know, I wasn't always confident in what I was doing. Mm. And I think that was some of it that, Somebody else could always do it better than me. Mm. And so, you know, the enemy gets in your head and, you know, not good. Yeah. So those are the, some of the things that come to mind. Good. Good fill. advice. And fill yourself with the Lord. Fill, you know, make that time to be with God. It's because you can't give what you don't have. Well, I think that's a good place to stop, so... Thank you very much for sharing your story of home. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, homemaker, I hope that you have found Jean's story inspiring and motivating. I love that last thing that she said. We only get one chance with our kids. So take that time. Jean's family intentionally limited their commitments outside the home so that they could have that time that they knew they would never get back. Losing Jessica gave Jean and Jeff this perspective, but you don't have to go through something so dramatic in order to slow down and enjoy the everyday moments at home. Kids grow up and they move out. Parents age and they pass away. So today, take the time to slow down and be with your people. Love them, serve them, listen to them, delight in them. If you found value in today's episode, would you consider giving the show some love in one of the following ways? Share it with a homemaker that you know who could use some encouragement. Leave us a rating and review on your listening app. And finally, you can leave us a tip in our virtual tip jar, Buy Me a Coffee. Tips are given in $5 increments, and you can buy us one, two, three, or more coffees. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash theartofhome. Also, make sure that you are signed up for our Homemaker Happy Mail. That's our weekly email, which goes out every Friday during our regular seasons. It's filled with ideas and recipes and stories of home. It's just one more way that we can connect with you and equip you in your homemaking. We also share what's going on with the podcast and any new or upcoming projects. So if you want to be in the know about the art of home, the newsletter is the place to be. Sign up with the link below or at theartofhomepodcast.com slash subscribe. That's all for today's episode. I will be back next Wednesday with a newbie homemaker portrait. Until then, keep practicing your art of making a home. That's cool. But you don't say cote. Not usually. (laughs) But I do like to put the accent over the... Sometimes it makes people not call us coped. Oh, I wouldn't even think to call you that. They would, a lot of people do that. Mrs. Well, Coat? Mrs. Coat, but that, that would be spelled differently. Right? That's what I think. But. <laughs> or if you say your name is Cody, they'll spell it C-O-D-Y. C-O-D-Y. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> I told you I say that a lot. <laughs> you got to let that go. <laughs> I don't even notice it. Really? So maybe I don't say it as much as I think. I mean, it's, and it gets to the point for a lot of people, like I said, unless you're like a valley girl and you're, you know, like, 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 like
you don't, you, your brain filters that out. As a listener, your brain will filter it out. Okay. You know, it's typically more things like if you have a lot of spit in your mouth when you're talking, which you don't. Okay. <laughs> you're great. No spit sounds great. at all. <laughs> but I do have that sometimes. I'm like, oh my gosh, because for me, that's a pet peeve when I'm listening. Is it? If yeah. I can hear that. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard. That's I can't so funny. Stand it. That's so funny. That's my next level of sa- of understanding sound. <laughs> like, how can I get rid of the the spit sounds? But anyway, 